Today's going to be different. Like I said, it's going to be an interactive sermon. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, first time in seven years. Uh, it's not going to be monologue. Um, so, do you remember last week I looked at the four ways that God has spoken, or four ways that God has left his signature? Creation, uh, conscience, uh, the prophets, and then finally Jesus. Those of you that were here last week, do you remember that? Okay, and I particularly wanted to focus this week on conscience and teach a little bit about, about the conscience and how it works, and I'm happy to draw the children into that if it will work. Uh, you know what they say, never work with uh, children and animals, you don't know where it will go, but we'll, we'll, we'll see how we get on with that. Um, what I want to do before I teach at all, I want to give you how many scenarios, one, two, three, four, five scenarios, one at a time. I'm going to give you a scenario, and I'm going to, I'm going to, this end here means it's, that's not okay. This end here means it's really okay. Okay? Uh, so the first scenario Hold on. The first scenario, I'm going to ask for 10 people who are willing to stand up when I read it out and put yourself on the line. So you're either going to stand, that's not okay, that's really okay, or somewhere in the middle that represents, it's in between or it's a bit heading that way. So who wants to be my 10 volunteers for the first scenario? One, two, so we've got Debs, we've got Adam, we've got Rich, we've got Rob, we've got Tom, we've got Dan, we've got me, Dan, Aisha, Chris and Emma. Now you guys are obviously risky by nature because you don't even know the scenario. <laughs> and I know everyone else was like, no, you've not said the scenario. Okay, right here. So here we go. Um, it's okay to steal from the rich in order to give to the poor. Come on. Not okay. Really okay. In the middle, I want to see what you think. <laughs> Be honest. Be honest. You must say what... Because there is actually a lot of pressure in this environment to do the right thing. I'm aware of that. To, to, to steal... To take. To take. To take. Oh, don't you start, you lot. That's really okay. So, Rob, I would imagine you'd be right off the chart, mate. No, I'm joking, joking, joking. That's not okay. Okay, fine. That was the neat. Oh, pardon? Taxing. Don't. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Okay, thank you, thank you, thank you. It gets more complicated. Okay, I want. I want. Uh, thank you. That's fine. You're done. I want ten more volunteers for the second scenario. We got Chris. Uh, yeah, we got Shola. We got. We got. We've got uh, Tuli, we've got Bex, we've got Mary, we've got Michael, we've got Joe, we've got Chris, we've got Shannon and Gordon. It's okay to eat kittens. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> Not okay, really okay, kind of in the middle. So, 
Don't start. Depends. Don't start all that. It depends whose kitten it is. It's either it is or is not okay to eat kittens. Just look around. Look around. Just look at each other. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you for your honesty. Okay. Scenario number three. War is always wrong. So, tr- so, so, okay, so you, different. War is always wrong. That's not a true statement. That's a really true statement somewhere in the middle. War is always wrong. True. War is, oh, I've said it before. I've got my volunteers. Oh. Okay, well, come on, ten of you, come and put yourself on the line. Just come and put yourself on those of you who want to say something. So, war is always wrong. Very true. Not true at all, somewhere in the middle. Not only are they going not only there to there, they're starting to move in and out in this direction as well, which is an amazing new dynamic. I don't know what it means, but it's 3D. We've gone 3D. So, well, it's not that it's always right, but it's saying I really disagree with that statement that always wrong could be right. Definitely could be right. Okay, all right, thank you very much. Okay, uh, uh, all right, ten more, ten more volunteers. Okay, you know who you are. You know who you are, right? Okay, just move, move when it's... It's okay to download pirate movies, etc. using things like BitTorrents. <laughs> it's okay to download pirate movies, etc. For example, using things like BitTorrents. So this is so... Uh, it's okay. It's not okay. It's okay. Now, I'm just saying, if you're standing that end, then that means you don't have such things in your home. Just, just, so, I'm just, because you've got to make sure that what we say lines up with what we really think and how we act. Just to say that. I'm just making that comment there. Not that I've been looking at your bookshelves or anything. I'm just making that comment. So, every, anyone, everyone says this is a no-no. You're kind of somewhat in the middle. In some countries, you can't... Right, okay, okay, right, interesting, yeah. Oh, she's off. Hey, oh, sure, look, at her, look at her go. She didn't just walk, she ran over there. Okay, all right, great. One more scenario. Let's have about 15 of you just come and stand in the area. And when I say it, you move to where you think. About 15 or so people just come and stand here. And when I say it, just go where you think. So I'm going to say the statement. I'm going (laughs) to... Safety in numbers. I'm going to say the statement. And um, very true. Not true. Not true at all. Okay. Okay, the statement is this. It's okay to tell white lies. It's okay to tell white lies. Not true at all. Very true. It's okay to tell white lies. White lies are like small lies, little things, little things that aren't quite true. So are we going by practice? You know when you said with the you're, you're going by what you really think, and what you really think is what you really do. No matter what you say you really think, what you really think is what you really do. So you, you're, where you stand has to line up with your conduct. But the brave thing is actually standing in that place on the line, uh, regardless of what people think of you. 
I'm, I'm, don't try and draw me into dialogue now. Okay, you've got to stand on the line. I know they are, they are definitely complicated. That's the reason why I'm... <laughs> okay. Great. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Right, so... Now, what was the point in doing all that? I'm trying to demonstrate something about the conscience. The conscience, though it's something we are born with, we're born with an innate sense of right or wrong. We're born, we're born uh, so you'll find, like I said last week, toddlers can get very irate when there's a sense of injustice and the like. So we're born with it. Nevertheless, our life experience, the environment that we're brought up in, who we spend most time with and their particular values educate our conscience. New Day, New Day Youth are back. Great to have you. Come on in. Come on in. Good to have you back. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Give your parents cuddles and things. <laughs> Good to have you here, guys. Get yourselves comfortable. You should be able to fall asleep on the back row. You've had about three hours sleep in the whole week. <laughs> so glad you got back safely. You alright? You all settled? Well done. Okay. So, we're, we're born with a, with a conscience and yet our culture... Um, those who we spend most time with can change our conscience whereby we can find ourselves in a situation where you think, man, I'm doing something today that if I'd done it five years ago, I would have felt terrible. But actually, I feel fine now. Or the opposite. You can think, do you know what? I used to feel fine doing that. And now it really troubles me. Your conscience is something that that is movable. And that... And that um, gets educated by the value system that you submit yourself to. All of us, whether kind of very kind of explicitly or just kind of in a kind of more vague kind of way, um, submit to a system of values um, that affect how, who we are and the way that we tick. Now, becoming a Christian means that you bring your, your conscience to Jesus as well as the rest of you and what, what God starts to do, part of the way God renews us and transforms us, is that the gospel begins to educate our conscience. Come on in, come on in. That's cool. That's cool. Welcome back. Good to see you. I'm missing a son. I seem to be missing a son. He's coming. Great. Okay. I can preach, preach peacefully, knowing that he's not still in Norfolk, wandering around. Uh, so, so, part, so part of transformation is that your, your conscience begins to be educated by the gospel. That's, that's really important. And that you take, uh, because what can happen is in life is that the, the Bible calls it you can get a seared conscience. You know what something is seared? It's like, um, it's like something happy, it's like a burning thing. And then as a result of that experience, it then becomes tough. And it's no longer tender. And that can happen in life. You can, you can either close your ears enough to your conscience saying that's wrong, that in the end it becomes like um, calloused. It's like there's, a, there's like an imaginary skin over it, so it, that you're not troubled anymore when you hurt someone. Or you're not troubled anymore when you do something that you know is wrong. 
It's a calloused conscience. And when you become a Christian, part of what God does is he kind of removes that skin and then begins to, begins to help you um, educate your conscience. And so a Christian conscience is a conscience that has been educated by the gospel and has really submitted itself to the Bible's teaching. And um, that's quite a, if, you, if you stop to think about that, that's pretty, um, that's pretty poignant. Because if you, there's a few things going on there. There's firstly a sense of saying, Lord, actually, I'm going to believe this is your word. Hello, boy. And uh, good to see you. I'm going to believe this is your word, and I'm going to submit, I'm going to submit myself to it. And then they're saying, Lord, I'm going to, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to let, I'm not going to just be tough and hard, but also... If you're the kind of person whose conscience troubles you about almost everything. And there's some pretty extreme. It can get really extreme. Some of you, you, you know what I'm talking about. The tiniest thing. It's like your conscience accuses you and you're thinking, I'm sure I didn't even do anything wrong. But it's like, and you end up doing these ridiculous things to try to appease the conscience but you're even aware you're doing it this is so over the top but your conscience has not been educated into a good strength by the gospel instead it's just utterly vulnerable to all kinds of accusations and so i want to just maybe take a few of those scenarios that we looked at and just show you how the gospel might educate your conscience i'm going to take the easy ones because some of them would definitely deserve either a whole sermon or a whole sermon series, and it wouldn't be right. But I just want to show some that are easy. It's okay to eat kittens. Now, let's just... <laughs> I'm not... I, well, it's, okay, true. It's okay to eat kittens. Sorry, Shola. It is okay to eat kittens. That's not, that is not to say that the Bible encourages us to go out looking for kittens to hunt and kill and eat. Okay? It's not saying that. What it's saying is this is that we see, as we track the story of the Bible, we see that Adam and Eve were most likely vegetarian. And then after the flood, there's a covenant that God makes with Noah. And part of that, so, so when in creation with Adam and Eve, God says to them, I'll give you all the fruit and vegetables on the planet to eat. They're yours for eating. After the flood, God makes a different covenant with Noah. And he says to him, I'll give you all the animals to eat. So God says it's okay. Then... We have the dispensation of the Jewish people where God brings in certain dietary laws, certain foods clean, certain foods unclean. Then we get to Jesus. And in Mark chapter 7, Jesus declares all foods clean. Okay? And in 1 Timothy chapter 4, Paul talks about the fact that everything is holy and good if it's received with thanksgiving. So culturally, I might not eat kittens... Because we don't do it. <laughs> yeah? But it's not wrong before God to eat kittens. And if my conscience is telling me, that's wrong. This food is unclean. I need to let the gospel educate my conscience so that I no longer allow those accusations to grip my soul that are not based on gospel biblical truth. You see, it can happen in, in churches. What, you can be part of a church where there's lots of extra rules, lots of extra things that aren't in the Bible. I'll give you an example. There could be a rule like women shouldn't wear makeup. 
Right? So that could be a rule in a, that's a rule in some churches. Women should not wear makeup. It's not modest. Right? So now, if you're in that environment, what can I, and if you submit to it, then your conscience can become very tender to that. And, and, and you could feel that to put lipstick on would be wrong. So your conscience has been educated by someone's preached it and maybe they've taken something from the Bible and then, and then gone a step further. The Bible definitely speaks about modesty. It speaks about the power of female beauty to use it wisely and to be, to be, to be modest. That's a, that's a wonderful thing. That's definitely a godly biblical thing. But it never says in the Bible, don't wear makeup. What it does say is this. It says, focus on inner beauty. Focus on the beauty of the heart. It never says there's anything wrong with external beauty or wanting to look beautiful. The Bible never... In fact, the, the Bible would speak of beautiful women from time to time in a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a commendable way, but it makes the point that it's the inner beauty of the heart that is what God really treasures and that will never, never waste away. But some churches would develop this and bring in a man-made rule or don't drink alcohol. There's another one. And then as a Christian, you can think, it's wrong to drink alcohol. The Bible never says that. The Bible says, don't get drunk. So the Bible says, do not drink, do not drink alcohol to the point where your behavior changes. Because you'll do things you regret. You'll say things you regret. You won't live wisely and for the glory of God. You'll, wake, you'll end up doing and saying things where you wake up in the morning and you go, what an idiot. And I've got to make repair here. I've got to... I've, I've hurt my brother or sister. Do you see what I'm saying? So, so, don't, so now, you, so you then, you see, the gospel teaches my conscience now. So because my gospel is taught by my conscience, because of that, I am free to understand myself before God. How much alcohol makes me act differently? Do you want to know? About two sips. I'm not that guy that can have a couple of pints of beer and still be exactly the same. And I wish I was, because I like beer. <laughs> but I'm not. So because of that, I don't drink alcohol. Yeah. But that's why. Not because it's wrong to drink alcohol. Because for me, I get drunk or my behaviour changes very, very quickly. So well, I'm not going to do it. Because I end up doing and saying things that mean I don't live a life of love. And I'm not glorifying Jesus in the way I am. So that's why I make that decision. But you see, so you've got, your conscience gets educated by the gospel. Rather than just lots of extra man-made rules which crush your spirit and cause you to just try to please people all the time in a, in a kind of a slavish kind of way. Now there's one more thing to say on conscience. On conscience then we're going to just blast it out on the gospel and then we're going to respond. Wine in it, and it's this. It's that we need to honour one another's consciences. Your conscience may be weaker than mine, i.e. you may feel guilty much more quickly than I do. If that's the case, I can't trample all over your conscience by saying, what's the matter with you? Because I end up destroying your inner life through my lack of love. I recognize that over time, God's going to strengthen your conscience so you're not so tender on stuff. But if for the moment, there's things, that, there's things that you can't do, your conscience doesn't allow you to do, I'm not going to lean on you to do them because I love you. Yeah? I'm going to give you space 
so that the gospel can educate your conscience so that when your conscience has been freed up and strengthened by the gospel, you can walk in freedom. Does that make sense? It's really important. Now, if I've got a weaker conscience and there's someone with a stronger conscience, I'm not going to jump to conclusions that you're callous in your conscience or that you, you know, I don't know, there's, you're hard-hearted. Yeah? In issues of conscience. In, in matters that aren't right or wrong, they're just kind of grey. What I'm going to do is I'm going to just say, do you know what, I'm not going to start thinking of myself as super spiritual and super tender, you know, because actually it may be just that I've got, you've actually got a stronger conscience than me. So in, in it all, what we do, we live by the law of love. We stick to the gospel. Here's the gospel. Here's the gospel. We are all crooked. <laughs> Right? We are all crooked. We have all fallen from the glory we were created for. God has looked on us with mercy and given us his one and only son to bear in his body the penalty for all of our crookedness so that we can be freely forgiven and freely welcomed back to God. We know that Jesus is who he said he was because he rose from the dead and is alive today, so that demonstrates he is all that he says he was. He has beaten death and can give us eternal life as a gift. That's the gospel. You might say, but you haven't said anything I've done except for being crooked. That's the gospel. It's what God does for us. That's why it's good news. He does all that for us and then welcomes us into that freely. As we accept that, we find new life. And then from that point on, God says, now let me teach you how to walk with me in the freedom of the gospel and in the power of the Holy Spirit and according to the rule of love. Amen? That makes a healthy and a mature church who can grow together, give one another space and honor one another, stick to the plumb line of the gospel, not get into lots of extra man-made rules, simply trust in the word of God. We will do one another good and we will glorify the name of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah.